Hi, Dr. Vesheva. How are you doing today? I'm great. And I'm so excited to be here with you. You're like one of my favorite people. I love when we chat. Oh, I love when we chat too. I feel like I learned so much from you. So tell us who you are. Tell us where you are and tell us um, what I do. Yeah. What you do. Sometimes that's what you do. Okay. So um, my name is Dr. Batsheva Marcus. People usually call me Dr. Batsheva, which is my first name. And I'm a sex therapist. Woohoo. And people are like, what does a sex therapist do? So we can talk about that. Um, I um, ran the largest sexual health um, center in the United States for about 25 years. I know I'm very excited. Now I am currently in private practice, just seeing clients primarily over Zoom, some a little bit in person. Um, and I have a book out called Satisfaction Guaranteed, How to Have the Sex You've Always Wanted. And I am a huge, huge believer in empowering women because I feel like everybody hits sexual problems all the time, all the time. And everybody gets correct, right? Everybody's yeah. waylaid by them. So you're seeing pain primarily. I think, you know, people are lucky enough to see you when they have pain. That's great. Um, but in addition to pain, there's also people who can't get turned on problems with arousal, people who don't have any desire, don't want to have sex and the good old orgasm problems. So I address all those four things in my book, satisfaction guaranteed. And I see clients for all those things. And I'm a huge, huge, huge believer that you can overcome all of those things. Yeah. Can I say one more thing? (laughs) Okay. So one more thing I was going to say is that what makes me different from many other sex therapists is that I'm a very, very staunch believer and probably, um, you know, sort of a maverick in the field and somebody who's really gone out on a limb to say that many things are a combination of the physical and the psychological. So like, if you go to a therapist and they say, oh, low desire, it must be your relationship. I will say, maybe it's your relationship. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's your body image. Maybe there's a million things, but maybe it's your hormones or maybe it's your birth control pills, or maybe it's the fact that you're having pain. So let's look at all the factors, both the physical and the psychological. And because of that, I have a very, very high success rate. So, um, but I really, I just believe that we have to stop separating the mind and the body like that. I mean, you see it probably all the time with vaginismus. So, yeah. 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 I mean, with really all any kind of sexual pain, like vaginismus, vulvodynia, vestibulodynia, like I could go on and on. Right. Oh, I have a lot of patients who they come to me, you know, and, and it's not that I try to be a sex therapist, but like people are going to ask me, you know, questions like my libido shot. Like I have no, I have no sex drive anymore. Um, I have no idea why. And like, from my perspective, you know, I can coach them on how, if you're having pain, it it makes sense why you're not going to want to have sex. Right. So yesterday I had a patient and she's like, she has interstitial cystitis and has a lot of pain with sex. And also she just, I think she kind of dissociates to that, you know, to her vulva and her vagina. And she just doesn't want anything to do with it. And it's obviously putting a strain on her relationship. And how do you coach someone when they come to you and they're like, I have no libido anymore. It's shot. I don't want to have sex with anyone. So, yeah. Okay. So I was like, I'm laughing. So I, I need to tell you this in two minutes, even though this is like, you know, 20 years worth of research and and talking, but, um, the, the trick is Sabrina, I think the most important thing, and you probably do this with pain, but I do this with like sexual issues. It's almost like they're coming to you and they're dumping this plate of spaghetti down. Like there's a gazillion problems and you need to kind of separate the strands and figure out what is going on. So like what you said, like if, if it turns out that she doesn't want to have sex because part of the reason is because it's so painful and so miserable. So then addressing a trying to fix the pain, but while you're fixing the pain, other ways to have sex that aren't painful could be very powerful. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I would also do kind of a meta-analysis, like what medication is she on maybe affecting this? <laughs> I would look at, you know, obviously her hormone levels, her birth control pills. Um, so I would try to get a real sense of kind of what's happening with her physiologically, medications people have put her on because of the endometriosis or whatever it is that she has. And then I would start to say, let's look at what turns you on, what you've had access to. I think we should have a conversation, you and me, Serena, about the brain and fantasies, because that's like a huge one. Um, but I would, you know, sort of try to help her figure out what shifted from times she was, if she ever had any desire to have sex. Now, yeah. the problem with some of this is that sometimes women come in and they don't have desire for sex. And they don't even have a desire to have the desire, right? Like it's right. really hard to make you want some, like, it's almost like saying, let's, let's build up an appetite if you have no appetite for food, right? Like it's almost impossible to do that. Right. And, and um, sometimes I, you know, sometimes I find myself a little bit in arguments with people because so I once was talking to a doctor who's amazing and lovely, but she said, you know, if a woman comes in and she says she's not interested in having sex and she has no desire, but she's married and her husband is upset, then I don't think that's legitimate. You know, I mean, it's not legitimate reason for her to want to change. <laughs> and I would argue that we're in relationships and part of being in a relationship is sort of being partially responsible for everything that happens in that relationship. So how would you feel if your partner came home and said, I don't want to talk anymore? Like we can keep being married, but I just decided I don't want to talk anymore. So right. we wouldn't be okay with that. So a company coming home and saying, I don't want to have sex, but that's okay. We're going to stay in the relationship, but I just plan to not have sex anymore. To my mind, that's not that different. And so- what I try to do with women is sort of say, let's figure out, I know right now you feel like you didn't have sex, but how did you feel when you did want sex? Most of the time I'll hear women talk about, I felt more alive. I felt more like connected to the world. I felt more energetic. I felt happier. Like yeah. our sexuality is a big piece of who we are. So tapping into that in order to get the, like at least get the motivation to be able to fix the low desire is really critical. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I, and I think that's great too, because sometimes I'll work with people. Right. And they're like, I have, you know, I don't want to have sex. And I'm like, okay, then don't have sex. You know, like even if let's say, let's say their pain is gone, you know, and we're working on other stuff, strengthening, for example. And they're like, I don't want to have sex. I'm like, I always, I always refer to sex therapists, especially if that's something that they're interested in. But, you know, I, I sometimes I find myself too being like, okay, you shouldn't do what you don't want to do. But I like the point that you're saying, because you are in a relationship, you know, if you're, that is so true. Like it's like coming home one day saying like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. That that relationship's never going to work. And obviously there's relationships where both, especially like, especially when I work with older patients, maybe they've come to agreement where like, you know, his junk don't work. And she's like, great. I don't want to have sex anymore. But like, that's what's something that they mutually have decided together. So, you know, I think that a lot of women have a lot of resentment for their husbands or for their partners when their partner wants to have sex and they can't or don't want to. And then that, that also almost like turns them off more, you know? I mean, I think that's what I just had a client this morning um, who was menopausal, so classic. And she she came to me a few months ago and she said, I, I just feel like this part of my life is over. Like, but I feel terrible because I'm married and I really love my husband. And we used to have a great sex life. And but my vagina is just it hurts. It's a mess. I have no desire. We've been working together like, I don't know, maybe we've met maybe six times. She, you know, I gave her, you know, lists to talk to her OB about. And she's great. She's like, oh my God, I never thought that I'd be able to have this part of my life back again. And it, you know, it might not be the same way she, when she was 22, but like, she's like, it just makes us connect better. It changes the whole tenor of the relationship, you know, like it makes, 
And, and, and I'm going to say to whoever's listening, I promise you, I promise you that in, except in very, very rare cases, I'm sure everybody listening thinks, oh, I'm it. But I promise you that except in those rare cases, you can have a great sex life, whether even if you're by yourself, right? Like I'll, I'll say to women like, okay, so you're not with a partner, but our sexuality is more than just with a partner. It's also how we move through the world. And when you're having great sex, even if it's with yourself, you feel different. I think you just feel different about your life. So um, yeah, I feel like our sexuality is so critical to who we are. Um, that's not to say that if somebody doesn't want to have it in their life, that's fine. I'm have total, you know, that's fine. But everybody can have it in their life and everybody should be able to feel empowered to have it in their life. So yeah. Did you watch the show on Netflix, Sex Life? No. Oh my gosh, you need to. It was such a good show. It was basically about this woman who was, you need to watch it. You're going to love it. I wish that they had like 5 million seasons. Um, It's basically about this woman who she was, you know, out in town, New York city with her best friend, like fucking guys, like doing all the things, having so much fun, super sexual person, like just like naturally very sexual person. And she like loved that about herself. And how old? Uh, I want to say like in her, maybe like early thirties. Okay. Got it. Okay. And then, you know, she went through like a nasty breakup, but like this person was like, she was so sexually attracted to. So she just like loved the relationship so much. And then she, you know, bad breakup, met a guy, suburban guy, had a house in the suburbs in Connecticut, you know, moved there. And basically she started having, you know, had kids and she was just like fantasizing about her past relationship. And basically the, the plot is basically her trying to find her sexual self again, because I really do think that we really, when we get stuck in this like routine, this day-to-day life. And me, me, myself, when I, I was always like semesters and then I had time off and then I had summer breaks and winter breaks. And then like, when I got a full-time job, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just like going through the motions. Like, it's so hard to have a sex drive when you're just going through the motions and your day looks the same all the time. And you really do have to put an effort in. So and that's basically was like her plot line. And I thought it was just so much fun to follow because I think so many people can relate to that, that sex almost really starts to feel like a chore. And I know you talk about that in your book. So how do you, if you have someone who's like, I really want to have sex, you know, I want to make an effort to, to have sex. How like, do they schedule it? Like, how do you recommend someone go about this? Okay. So there's a couple of things I, I want to actually get back to like, just what you were describing. I want to start with that a little bit, which is that, um, that, you know, we assume it's, it's really interesting. The, the, the low desire constantly shows up in these long-term monogamous relationships, right? Like, right. And yet we want to be in these long-term monogamous relationships. Like, wait, one option is to go out and find other partners. And, you know, that's, you know, all power to you, but most people don't want to do that who are long-term relationships. They have an agreement with their partner that it's going to be monogamous and they want to stay that. And what's fascinating to me, Sabrina, is that I think women, this is the data on this is so interesting. So you, you, you think sort of culturally, we believe that men have a harder time with long-term monogamy with one person, right? Like if you asked you, you'd say, oh, a man has a harder time with it. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's not the case because what we find and what we find is that men, their, their desire goes down a little, but it stays kind of fairly okay. Whereas women, it plummets. And here's my theory on that, Sabrina, which is that men know that it's kind of okay that they're maybe like bored or not that interested. And so they do all the things that naturally will help. Like they fantasize about other women or they watch some porn or they listen to something or they think about something sexy or hot or whatever. And they don't feel guilty about it. Like uh-huh. they, they feel like it's perfectly okay. Women, as soon as 
they start not being that, you know, instantly attracted to their husband and they start thinking, oh, I'm more attracted to the fireman or the, you know, guy at the gym or like, I don't know, Keanu Reeves or something, right? <laughs> they, um, they start feeling horrible about it and so they just shut down their desire. That's what I think is happening. And mm -hmm. so I, one of the things I work with women on is that it is insane to think that you're going to keep your sex life alive with your partner by only thinking about your partner in your house. Like that is just absurd. Like our, our erotic brains don't work that way, right? Mm -hmm. Part of what we need to do is teach and let our erotic brains fly free. And that means reading or watching or listening or thinking or really developing our sense of, you know, fantasies. And I think that can be unbelievably helpful. So that's one thing I want to say. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And another thing, and if I'm talking too quickly, just, you know, wave me down. No. I, I get excited. I just, I'm off, you know, it's like, no. so, you know, you said like, if people start to feel like something they have to do, and here's where I think we all need to make a little bit of a shift, right? I don't know, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, I was doing a podcast and somebody said, I was describing like, you know, you just make the decision and you have sex because, you know, you know, it's going to feel good. And somebody said, oh my God, it sounds like you're talking about exercise. And yeah. I, I, my reaction was like, oh my God, no, nothing like exercise. And then <laughs> I was thinking about it later. I'm like, damn it. It's exactly like exercise, right? Like what do we, how do we want, we want exercise in our life. Our movement in our life makes us feel fabulous, right? We, so we find something that we enjoy doing and we do it and we do it on a regular basis. And the more we do it, kind of the more ingrained in our life it is. And we do it because it makes us feel good in the moment and because we know it has long-term really good ramifications. So that's why we do it. Does that mean that we always want to get off the sofa at the moment when we're supposed to go play tennis or at the moment we're going to a Zumba class? Maybe not, you know what I mean? But we say to ourselves, you know what? I'm going to get off the sofa because I'm going to be so happy when I go play tennis. It's going to be fun and I'm going to feel good. And I love having tennis in my life. So yeah. I think we have these very overly romanticized views about sex. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and if we could, if we women in particular could say to ourselves, we're having sex because it's really good for me. It's really good for our relationship. It's really good for my health. And I'm going to have sex that feels really good, but that doesn't mean at any given moment, I'm going to say, oh my God, I need to go have sex right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like, I like how you're comparing it to exercise. Cause it is, it is true. We have to, you know, no one really wants to schedule an exercise, you know, but once we go and we do the exercise, we feel amazing. So you mentioned about, you know, we do exercise because we know there's so many benefits. What are the benefits to having sex? So the benefits of having sex are there's like so many, it's, it's hard to like, first of all, your vagina, I always say this and you know, you use it or you lose it, right? Like if you don't have regular blood flow in that vagina and something going in and out so that the muscles go up and down, like your vagina, things happen to your vagina that are not good. You could speak to this way better than me to like, if you don't have anything in your vagina for two years, that's not good. Right. So that's I always joke, like, if I don't have something in my vagina for two weeks, I joke that I'm a virgin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. No, you know what? Like, especially, I don't know what you do, but when we were dealing with women with vaginismus, once it was sort of, they were in a good place. We always said, you need to have something in your vagina three times a week, either a penis or a dilator. What do you, I'm so curious. What do you tell women? Do you tell women anything like that? If they have vaginismus, usually we they're finished. They're sort of finished vaginismus treatment, right? Oh, uh, I usually just say, you know, that's a good question. I feel like I will have them do dilator training. Like we do maintenance, right? So they'll do like dilator training. Depends how much they're having sex. So if they're like, oh great, I'm gonna now I'm gonna like fuck my husband like a rabbit. So I'm gonna have yes, sex right. day. <laughs> then I'm like, you're good. But you know, if there's gonna be some periods of time where they're not having sex, then I'll say, make sure you do some maintenance with the dilator. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's exactly. So we used to tell people yeah. we want something in that vagina three times a week, right? Like it could be a penis, it could be a vibrator, it could be a dialer. Just get something in that freaking penis three times a week. Anyway, um, so so that's number one. It's really important to know. Second, number two is um, honestly, it does get your heart rate up, and so that's always really good. And number three, it really connects you to your partner in a way that I think almost nothing else does. You know, mm-hmm. Sabrina, like I always say to people, I didn't go into this field because I'm so excited about body part A and how it fits into body part B, like, you know, slots into body part What's right, interesting right. to me about this is how relationships shift and the the way the interactions are between people when their sex life is good versus when they haven't had sex. You know, I will have women say to me all the time, if I come home and my husband's socks are on the floor and we've had really good sex recently, I'll scoop them up, I'll laugh and I'll toss them in the hamper. But if <laughs> I come home and I find those socks on the floor and we haven't had sex in a while, I want to take those socks and I want to stuff them down his throat. Yeah. Like it does impact fundamentally on our relationships. And I think, um, you know, when we talk about like the vulnerable, getting naked with somebody, you're getting naked with them in a way not just physically, like emotionally, you're becoming vulnerable, you're connecting in a way, even if it's a quickie, you know, it doesn't have to be this long romanticized. There's just something about connecting to people in that way. And I think for ourselves, it's also extremely healthy because, um, you know, it makes us feel again, sort of more alive and more connected to the world. So, um, so there's so many, and, you know, for men, having erections is really, you know, important. Orgasms, uh, higher levels of orgasm have been connected to lower, um, lower levels of cancer. Like there's just, um, there's just lots of ways in which sex is such a healthy thing. And sort of, you said something about like putting it on this calendar and you asked me actually a few minutes back and I didn't respond about the scheduling sex. So yeah. we should talk, we should definitely talk about that. What do you, you have any thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts on this one. <laughs> um, I feel like that I mean I don't I don't really know what I tell patients like generally speaking because I I feel like it's very individualized and usually like you said like I said I'm seeing them you know mainly for pain and then right there but you're sort of becoming a like de facto sex therapist because yeah no it really and like that's that's the thing that I feel like not a lot of people realize of pelvic floor therapists is that like let's be real a lot of these things are not covered by insurance or it's really hard to find like sex therapists can be hard to find doulas can be hard to find you know so like sometimes public court there and public court therapists can be hard to find for sure. So sometimes I feel like I'm wearing many hats, like, yes, for sure. I refer, but sometimes I'm like, okay, I need to have the good information on birthing positions and breathing and, and, you know, labor, what, what happens if something goes wrong. Um, you know, I feel like I need to talk to people about their coach people about their sex life all the time. So it's like, for sure. I feel like I'm wearing a lot of hats and that's where I like, I learned so much from you and your Instagram. And I love your Instagram, but, um, I guess, what was the original question that you asked me? Scheduling. I was going to say. Oh what? yeah. Scheduling, scheduling. Um, because yeah, I, I feel like scheduling it's important. And if I was going to ask too, what, is there a certain number of times a month or a week that someone should be having sex? Cause I heard that a, a good solid relationship, like to feel sexually satisfied and to feel connected with your partner minimum once a week. Yeah. So that's what the data suggests. So, um, and it's funny that that was the last, um, real, I did that went viral for whatever. Um, I used to, everybody's always saying to me, how often should a couple be having sex? Right. And by the way, I really need to clarify here. When I say sex, I don't necessarily mean a penis and a vagina. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you, do you know, mean any, an orgasm? like, do you mean? An yes. Orgasm? Okay. Yeah. I kind of do mean an orgasm. I mean, like, I always say like how I define sex is any active, like 
any activity where one with one or more people where the ultimate goal is an orgasm. They may have it, they may not have it, but that's the goal, right? So that's different than kissing and cuddling. So, okay. So, um, so, you know, I, my line, like every good sex therapist out there is like a couple should have sex as much as they want. And for some couples, that was going to be once a day. And for some couples, it will be once a month. Like, you know, like I'm like, I, you know, I'm spouting there, but, but then people will push back to, okay, but Chava, but what's real? Do you know what I'm saying? And, and that is real. There are some couples who really only are happy, you know, are happy if they have sex once a month and once a day. And so my gut feeling, and this is what I used to say, and then the data came out and I was like, yes, I got this one right. It's <laughs> like, um, is that pretty much once a week is a really good benchmark. Um, and that when you start having sex less than once every two weeks, for most couples, that's when the cracks start to show. Now, yeah. again, again, you could have a couple where they're really happy. I just saw somebody who's ha- finally having good sex and they're doing it once every two or three weeks. And that's working great for them. And that's, and they're both really happy. Well, I guess it also depends like where they started, right? Cause if they're not having sex for like years and then they go start having yes. sex, you know, like every like month or two, you're like, that's great progress. <laughs> totally. And it has to do with their personalities and their jobs and their kids, whatever this works for them. I mean, but I will say, so the data, what the data said, so that people kind of understand, it's not that you should have sex once a week. It's yeah. that the happiness level in couples on average went up climbed until they hit once a week and then it uh, tapered off. Now, again, that doesn't mean that there aren't some couples who really wouldn't be happy if they weren't having sex two or three times a week. And that's fine. And there's still times in people's lives, but on average, once a week feels about right. Okay. So that's, that's in terms of frequency. Yeah. So that's, now let me talk about scheduling. Okay. Cause that it's such a hot topic and it freaks people out and it goes back to that whole exercise. Right. Know, when, I, when I tell, when I do suggest scheduling, people are like, but I never used to schedule it. We used to always have spontaneous sex. Like that's no fun. Bullshit. Am I allowed to say that on this podcast? Yes. Okay. It's bullshit. Of course you scheduled it. It's just that you scheduled it every time you went on a date. Like, what do you think you were doing when you got ready for the date and you put on the really cute underwear and you ripped your hair out? What about, every- what about like when people, for example, used to wake up in the morning, Sunday sex in the morning? Like that's they knew that they knew they were okay. having Sunday sex, right? So the schedule doesn't necessarily mean, and that's in the perfect world, you have what I call like a soft schedule. Like it's sort of there, both of your minds, even though it's not necessarily written into your planner, right? So right. I'll get a perfect example. I, when I meet with like couples who have a long-term ongoing sex life and we talk about it, they'll be like, oh, I don't schedule sex. We don't schedule sex. And I'll be like, oh, okay. So like, when do you have sex? And they'll say something like, oh, we usually have sex once over the weekend. Or they'll say, yeah. oh, once over the weekend and maybe on Wednesdays because he's home. Or they'll say yeah. like, we never let more than four or five days. Of course they're scheduling it. Right, and right. and when you were dating, like that's the most scheduled sex. You knew Thursday night you were going out and you were like, seriously going and having hair ripped out of these horrible parts of your body because what? Because you hadn't scheduled to have sex. Of course right, you right. knew you were having sex, right? Like, yeah. so, um, so, so it just wasn't so conscious is the issue. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I find really, really, really helpful for couples is to concretely schedule, especially when you've hit a rough spot. Um, to, in order to do this, you have to give up some of your like Cinderella romanticized fantasies about sex, yeah. right? Yeah. That it's going to be like fairy dust that comes down on you. But Sabrina, with two people who are working with, you know, elderly yeah. parents, with children yeah. in the house, with like right. schoolwork, like, believe me, sex is going to fall off. And so if you say, you know, scheduled sex isn't sexy, I will say to you, you know, it's really not sexy, not, not having, having sex. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I love exactly. you. Right. Exactly. So, um, so, but here's what I would often suggest also, I'd say, take out, take, if you haven't had sex in a while and it sounds crazy to you, pull out your count, pull out your calendars and say, listen, what time and day works for us mm-hmm. in a way that we can both be there show up without having to be wined and dined right. and where he's not feeling like, cause usually it's the guy who's more like, you know, not always, but often it's the guy who's more likely to want and her less. Right. And like where he doesn't feel like, Oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. If I ask her about sex, she's going to snap my head off. If right. I don't ask her about sex, it's never going to happen. You know, if I do the dishes, maybe she'll, it's just a terrible dynamic. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that can that definitely can weigh on them as well. Like for sure, it can definitely weigh on them. It's always on them, often the male partner. And then the woman is there like thinking, oh, it's been two days since we had sex. It's been three yeah. days since we have sex. And that's right. a crappy feeling also, right? Right, for sure. So when often I'll have a situation with, I'll say, pick a time to have sex. And then sex is off the table for the rest of the week. Unless for some reason, the low desire partner absolutely wants to have sex and they communicate that verbally. But like, it's really, really, it takes the pressure off everybody in a really positive way. I talk about this a lot in my book, but it it takes the pressure off in such good ways in terms of her not feeling, assuming she's a low desire, her not feeling guilty and pressured and like, you know, just feeling like that time clock in her head and him not feeling like I can't do anything right. And, you know, often he's, it's almost like, you know, you're on a diet, so you can't have chocolate cake. All you're thinking about is a chocolate cake, you know, like, but if you know that you're going to have cake, you know, tomorrow night for dinner, you just don't think about it so much. You know what I mean? So, um, so I just, I feel like it was so funny. I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago with another sex therapist, a male. Mm -hmm. And they said, the question was like, what is the one piece of advice you would give um, a couple who was sort of struggling with their sex life. Like what's the one most important piece? And without missing a beat, we both answered scheduling sex. Like it, it is just so critical, Sabrina, because if you don't put it on the calendar, it just isn't going to happen. Yeah. And, and then you get into really bad, like it becomes really complicated. Then it, you know, weeks go by and months go by and, you know, there's, irritation and you, start, you start questioning everything like it's just it's just it's natural like you start questioning everything you're like is this even the relationship that I want to be in is this even like he wants to be in like for sure then you just go down this rabbit hole of questioning which That's- by the way I'm so glad you said that which by the way because this is really a crazy one I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to couples who've gone to a therapist and, you know, a regular couples counselor. And they said, you know, our sex life's in the toilet and the couples counselor will say, okay, well, let's fix the relationship. And then the sex will follow. And I'm like, if you hear that from a couples counselor, you run for the hills. You just like say, thank you so much. Here's a check for our last appointment. And I am gone because for exactly the reason you said, like, you can have a, per- it, there are some relationships where the problem is the relationship. I'm not, not negating that, but okay. you can have a perfectly good relationship. And the problem is the lack of sex. And that's create exactly what you just said. It creates all kinds of secondary problems. So one of the things that sort of breaks my heart is a couple who comes in with a sexual issue that can be solved in two sessions or three yeah. sessions. And they spent like half a year talking to a couple's counselor, working on their communication and working on yeah. their fighting styles. And like, I'm like, seriously, are you kidding me? Like, let's just have you guys having sex again. Ah, I like that. I like that. Okay. So I have two more questions for you. Okay. One would be, because I get this a lot, right? So a lot of people have you know, this, they are raised with this background where maybe touching themselves is super taboo. Maybe it's their religion. Maybe it's their household. Maybe no one ever talked about correct anatomical terms. Maybe they didn't get a good sex um, education in school, which most of us don't let's be real. So what do you recommend 
to someone who literally does wants nothing to do with their vagina or their vulva. What, like how, how do you even initiate them? Like, let's say, let's say their goal is to start masturbating. How do you, how do you have them initiate masturbation? Yeah, that, that is such a great thing, Sabrina. And I think masturbation, it's, it's not even a religious, I mean, it is a religious thing, but there's, it's just, there's some major taboo about this that I just, you know, it's just insane. I don't, whatever. So I think the first thing I would always tell people is you have to like, learn how to look at yourself without being squeamish. And that is scary. And that means taking a mirror. And that means, you know, sort of very slowly learning your body part. So that's, that's number one. Number two, I feel like the bathtub is usually a really good starting point also, especially if you have bubbles in the bath, because then you're not necessarily seeing what you're touching, but you're like starting to touch yourself to figure out what feels good. And like, so the bathtub and the mirror are the two, I think biggest helps. And, um, it's one of those cases where like, you got to kind of push yourself to do it. Like, you know, it's a little bit, when you talk about certain kinds of therapy, talk therapy by itself, like vaginism is a perfect example. It makes me insane. It must make you insane too. When you hear somebody who's gone to a therapist and they've talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, talked, right. Until you freaking put those dilators in, like, yes, you need to talk, but you need the dilators in you. And so talking and talking and talking about how uncomfortable you are, you actually have to start really touching yourself, looking at yourself exploring with a therapist how difficult that might have been for you, the things, emotions that come up, like yeah. what happened when you did it. But the truth is you have to start actually doing, you know, it's exposure therapy. Yeah. And exposure. My, yeah. yeah. And my experience is that it, um, it really, it can move pretty fast if you, if you're actually being encouraged to do it while you're talking about it. I like to tell people, um, I know like you talked about this in your book too, is like trying to find ways, like remembering when you used to feel desire, like in your, even in your relationship or something like that, or even outside, I like to tell people to try to find ways to feel desirable about themselves. So like, for example, like putting on a cute outfit and like looking in the mirror and maybe making some sexy poses, you know, or something like that. That's great. Yeah. I think that's so great because sometimes like if you look at yourself in the mirror, especially if you're like, okay, I'm looking really good today. Like I, I feel really pretty today. And you put on an outfit that you feel really confident in and empowered in. And let's say you like spread your legs in the mirror or like you're on your knees. Like those are already very sexual positions. That's why a lot of times we're having people do stretches like happy baby or child's pose or like, you know, those kind of stretches are very sexual kind of naturally yes. be looking at yourself. You can be like, Oh damn, like I'm really hot. You know, that's, that is great. I mean, that is great. And that is already one, once they're starting to feel more comfortable with their body, like yeah. almost like I will say to them, try to inhabit, like, see how it feels to like inhabit being a sex worker or just somebody who's like, you know, a stripper yeah, like natural to you almost. Yeah. Like fantasize that this is like, this is like natural. Exactly. It's like, you know, I have very mixed feelings about the fake it till you make it, but there are certain times when it actually works. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with your body, it actually, because it, because I think it speaks to, you know, the, your body keeps the score. The idea that we can't, talk therapy doesn't work for everything, right? There's things that are being held in your body. And when you start yeah. shifting the reality in your body, then those things will shift in your brain as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love the happy baby thing. I got to remember that. I think it's amazing. Yeah. I, I feel like just like doing child's pose and like kind of arching your back a bit, you can be like, damn, this is a really yes. position, right? It is. Totally. It. Totally. Like, yeah. Totally. There's a lot of yoga like, poses where, you know, you're like, damn, this is a really hot, this like is a downward hot. dog, downward dog also. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. If you can make any, really any kind of stretch sexual, if you wanted to make it sexual. Um, okay. And then the last thing I want to talk about is your favorite topic vibrators. I know you did your your dissertation on vibrators, right? Which is right. Um, 
So what you have a good memory, Sabrina. <laughs> well, I thought that was, I, I've never heard of anyone doing a paper on vibrators, so I, I'll never forget that. Um, but so what is your, what is your opinion on vibrators and desensitizing? I'll tell you mine. So I can understand the argument. Like me personally, like I use a vibrator, not maybe not every time I have sex. I really, I'm a girl that really loves oral. My boyfriend's really good at oral. <laughs> he can probably hear this right now. And he's like, don't tell people that, but like, really, like, it's a compliment. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't need vibrators all the time, but sometimes like, you know, I really like them. Um, but I can understand the argument. Like, let's say someone's is having sex constantly and they're always using vibrators. I've heard people say like, I feel like I can't enjoy it without now. So where do, where, who do you think is a good candidate for vibrators and who's not a good candidate for vibrators? So I think everybody's a good candidate for a vibrator. Okay. Um, the only people, who, as far as I can see, who may have a problem are, I'm like laughing. You're going to totally laugh at this one. I'm an Orthodox Jew, Jewish person, right? And so we don't use electricity for 24 hours on the Sabbath, right? So if you use a vibrator and then you can't <laughs> use it, like seriously, like you can't, you know, so here's, here's this. I don't know where this got started, Sabrina, this idea that we have a gold standard orgasm that comes from a penis and a vagina and that a silver and a silver, you know, a silver rated orgasm is a hand or a mouth and a, you know, bronze runner up is the vibrator. I'm not a believer in that. I think an orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm. And honestly, between you and me in general, the easier an orgasm is to have the more fun it's going to be. And the more likely you are going to build it into your life. So right. if you're somebody who just has an easier time with an orgasm and uh, the vibrator and likes it, I don't see any reason. There's nothing worse about a, a vibrator in that case, unless, and, and this idea that it's not natural, like it almost makes me cry because like my glasses aren't natural, but that right. doesn't mean that I'm walking into walls or not looking at pretty paintings because I want to go natural, right? Like, or, or candles. Like I talk about that all the time. I use electric light bulbs, right? Like, so, so I do not, if you are happier with a vibrator and you are incorporating it into your sex life, if in some way it's getting in the way of your sex life, like somehow like you, like if you could only use a vibrator by yourself and you can't use it with your partner, I would say that's an issue. Let's work on that. But okay. other than that, I feel like it is really hundred percent. Okay. And you know, having talked to many neurologists, the bottom line is this, it does not change your neurological functioning. So okay. can you say that again? Say okay. Again. It does not, I'm going to give a caveat that it does not, not change your neuro your baseline neurological functioning, right? Like if you stop using a vibrator for a few weeks, you're going to go right back to where you were. Now it feels like it does because it's much more stimulation and your body likes that stimulation. So your body kind of gets used to wanting that stimulation, but that's a short-term change. It is not a long-term change, right? So the example I often give was like, if I could, if I could like tweak my ear and have dinner made and on the table, um, without having to do all the chopping and dicing and, you know, sauteing, that's what I would do most nights. Now, some nights I'd kind of be in the mood to chop and saute and dice, but for the most part, I would just twist, you know, pull my ear and have my dinner on the table. Right. And, and why would that be a bad thing? Like, where is it that we're coming in with a value judgment about that's not a good orgasm to have? I love that. I love that. And I think that's going to really clear the air because I see that a lot circulating and people always come to me with that concern. And I'm like, I'm like, it's, it's not, it's not going to change the way your nerves fire. It's not going to change anything. And I tell someone if they're concerned, I tell them the same thing. I say, just take a break from it, just take a break from it and then go back to it. But, 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 but I think you should also go, go after the deeper question, which is why is it a concern? Supposing you do need a vibrator every single time, which yeah. may happen as you get older, by the way. Right. But like, why is that a bad thing? Like, why is that a bad thing? So like, 
that is a cultural norm that we have stuck on because why not make women's lives even harder than they are? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, can you send me your, your dissertation? I, want I absolutely can. I can send you two things. I can send you my dissertation or there's a, I have a nine, like a, 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 a summary of it that was published in peer review journal. So that might yeah, totally up to you. I'm happy to send you both. I don't know if you want to read 360 pages. Um, but yes, I can, I'll send you both and you can decide what you want to do with That's them. Amazing. I really want to read it. Okay. This was fabulous. Thank you so much for coming on. I love this. This is so much. We should always continue the conversation because I just I think- do wanna, like, I think having a conversation on fantasies could be really, really great. Okay. I'm up and open for it whenever you can fantasize about it. Okay. Perfect. Can you tell people where they can find a sex therapist and where they can find you? Okay. So um, my website is Dr. Bacheva, D-R-B-A-T-S-H-E-V-A. You can see, find me on Instagram and on TikTok. On TikTok, I'm the Dr. Bacheva because I was thrown off once. Um, <laughs> and I know Sabrina and I, like we spend our time being thrown off of TikTok. Um, so, um, so that's how you find me. And I do do um, sex therapy long distance on Zoom. Okay. Generally yeah. consultations. That's fine. If you want to find somebody local and you're not in the New York area, um, you can look up ASEC, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and there's a list of sex therapists on there. And that's always a good way to go. Fabulous. Thank you so, so much. It was a pleasure having you on the No Such Thing as TMI podcast. Thank you so much for having me.